0: This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.
1: I'm Johnny Hart and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join our guest today. It's Trader Nick in the USA and Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Good
0: afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, Johnny. Good to be back.
1: Now, of course, I haven't spoken to you since last Friday when we had that shock non-farm payroll report uh, the figures the jobs figures were quite extraordinary way over the predictions and we're still getting the repercussions uh, from those numbers with plenty of fed speak over the last few days guys what is happening at the moment with the reaction
0: to those figures nick Yeah. So what we're seeing here is a market that's all over the place because people are just trying to figure out what's going to happen to interest rates. I was looking at the price of gold here just uh, this morning. It's just been stuck in a range on the daily chart for a while. And I feel like that's indicative of the whole market sentiment surrounding rates you have you know stock market hitting all time highs right in the, in the US and um, we mentioned Europe earlier just before jumping on the podcast so we're seeing stock markets all time highs however it's a very thin and narrow leadership within the stock market because a lot of the other areas of the market that are more sensitive to interest rates specifically you know smaller cap companies and other areas of the S&P 500 that again require more borrowing money and things like that the point i'm trying to get at is that the market seems all over the place with where they actually think interest rate cuts are going to come into the picture. And it does make sense that some of the leadership in the markets right now are some of the big tech names that are not so sensitive to interest rate cuts themselves. Now, of course, if the economy crashes and then changes completely, then those companies and their price evaluations will be called into question. But for the most part, it's the companies that are directly hurt by higher borrowing costs that are really struggling right now. A same kind of story with gold right interest rate cuts for gold and real interest rates declining that would be helpful to the price of gold but we're not quite getting that we're seeing the dollar index still remain overall pretty strong despite the pullback we're seeing today we've had um, the dollar kind of advancing against most other currencies the pound dollar broke out of of a key range recently the same thing on the euro if you're looking at the daily chart what i'm thinking of here but it's, it's just come off of a, a slew of strong numbers. And you mentioned the NFP number. That was the big one, right? Jobs were real hot on Friday. It was pretty much a blockbuster jobs number. And we even saw them revise the previous month of December's numbers. Uh, they revised them up. So we've seen this this pattern of a lot of revisions lower on jobs. You know they report a good number and revise the previous months lower, but not this time. We saw wage growth strong. We saw employment strong. Uh, unemployment remained the same. People thought it was going to go up. So it was a really strong jobs number, and it does call into question. You know when are these rate cuts coming? And it also calls into question. You know certain areas of the markets that are are more or less sensitive to interest rate cuts. Now on the currency front they're highly sensitive. right? The dollar index would not be trading where it's at if we were straight up expecting cuts right away. Now, the other side of this conversation, which I want to talk to Craig about because I think this is interesting, is it's for certain components of the market. It's more about the when do those cuts come. But there's also this question that we're over the hill in some ways. We're going to see rate cuts. That's the consensus. We may not see them right away, but we're likely to see rate cuts come. So I guess, Craig, set us up in the markets right now. We've got some Fed speak going on. How much does the win matter about rate cuts? Or is it just more about the fact that we know we're going to get them at some point, whether it be a little sooner, a little bit later, is sort of up for debate. But doesn't it make It's a big difference from where we used to be, where we're just going to see rate cuts. and We don't know when that's going to end we're now on the other side of that to a degree.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it all matters, to be honest. I think the when matters because of what we've been through for the last couple of years. So the when will signify that the Fed is confident that they will achieve their inflation mandate, and other central banks as well. But obviously, we're just talking about the Fed at this point because of that jobs report on Friday. The first rate cut really does matter in that sense because you know that it's unlikely that the Fed's going to cut interest rates and then wait six months to do the next one. So from that perspective, it does matter. And also, it's quite psychologically and significant and the the signal that it sends to the markets that we are on the path to 2% and we're confident about that. I think that's a strong signal too. And then obviously how many we'll see this year matters too. Uh, What's interesting uh, and what I think we've seen a lot of, but we're almost seeing more of in January and start of February, is the market participants are like the excitable child and the the central bankers are the grown-ups in the room. That's not to say that the excitable child is always wrong and the grown-ups are always right by any stretch of the imagination, but at the end of December, the markets were pricing at 150 basis points of rate cuts. In the middle of January, it was 175, and now we're back at around 125, 100 to 125, which seems a lot more reasonable under the circumstances. Yet the Fed's language hasn't changed. It really hasn't. They've been really consistent and they've been really slow. They've not been overly responsive to the data because they know that it was unlikely that the data was going to dramatically get worse, then dramatically improve. It was going to be, there was going to be bumps in the road along the way. And while investors have been getting overly carried away at times with particular data points, the Fed's messages remain consistent. And I think we've seen that again in the last few days because it would have been very easy for the Fed to turn a lot more hawkish in its language over the last few days, especially since that jobs report. Got to remember, uh, and anyone who listens closely to what we've said, there was a period, I think it was around November, when we'd had three jobs reports and the wage numbers in particular had now produced three consecutive months of very low wage growth consistent with inflation ultimately return its target if it can be sustained and it was that kind of third one that kind of gave investors that confidence that this is not just a blip in the data that it's a trend forming well now we've had three of the opposite We had 0.4, 0.4 and 0.6. So it would almost be very easy for the Federal Reserve to turn a little bit more hawkish on the back of that 0.6 because that was a shock. It was double the consensus forecast uh, and on the back of 2.4s. If that was on the back of 2.2s, then you could kind of ignore it. But on the back of 2.4s to jump to a 0.6 doesn't necessarily suggest that the trend is taking off in the other way, but it may suggest that we see it stabilizing at a higher level than we previously thought was uh, happening but i'm looking at the fed speak over the last couple of days and it seems to be pretty consistent maybe appropriate to cut rates uh at some point an optimist that you inflational progress will continue expects consumption to moderate wage growth is moderating that may be a nod to the feds focus on the eci which did moderate further rather than the jobs report itself this is from uh, one policymaker kugler we also had kashkari speaking and again at the moment two to three rate cuts this year seems appropriate uh, Uh, If we can see a few more months of good data, it'll give us confidence we get back to 2%. That's probably a nod to May or June for the first rate cut, which is consistent with uh, the dot plot. Uh, We've also heard from uh, Patrick Harker as well, sees real progress on getting inflation back to 2%. And there's been more all in the last couple of days. All of this does suggest that the Fed is still confident inflation's gone back to 2%. They've not been swayed drastically in the last month and a half by the data. They've not suddenly changed course. They've just gradually become convinced that inflation is going back to 2%. I think that's probably the right way of looking at it. And yes... Investors got carried away. We always get carried away. It's part and parcel of what investors do. It's investors' job to try and get ahead of the curve and try and almost be uh, the first to notice and therefore investors always wanting to sell the top and buy the bottom, right? I mean, it's almost part of what they try to do. Whereas it's the Fed's job to try its best to be right when it's confident. It's right. That means that its message can't be changing month to month. It can't be being swayed by one day to release. Um, And it has to move when it's really confident that's going to be the case. And its language is unlikely to change long before that. So my point in all of that long spiel is that while we have seen big sways in these markets, it's almost a relief and comforting that from the Fed's perspective, they're not showing much concern that there's going to be a big change in interest rate and inflation expectations this year. And they're still confident that we'll see two or three, which is what they thought back in December.
0: Yeah, Craig, really good there and I and I definitely like your your analogy there of the the kind of crazy kids and the parents because that definitely is, you know, the Fed has been really transparent overall with what they're seeing. They I pointed in our last podcast just how much they kind of switched to a data dependent, you know, they, they almost humbled themselves after the transitory language that we saw in 2021. They really seemed to have pulled back on that thought process and just said, hey, you know, we're going to continue to be data dependent. And um, yeah, d- totally, the market got ahead of it. What I think is interesting, as I mentioned at the top of this, this podcast, just how, you know, narrow the rally has been, uh, where, you know, if you do sort of look at How most markets are reacting to this gold, you know, the dollar, the Russell kind of comes in line where things have been tricky has been, you know, the the top of the stock market, the NASDAQ, the S&P, which with really solid earnings from some of those key companies like NVIDIA and Microsoft. They're really outperforming. Another area that has been a massive underperformer, but seeing a little bit of a rebound is actually the Chinese stock market. Um, We've seen some stimulus efforts out of there. It's not something that we really specialize and speak highly on all the time on this podcast, but the highlight notes is that you know, you got to look at Asia right now, and you've got to kind of take into consideration that here's Japan hitting all-time highs. Here's India, you know, rocketing higher in their stock market. So you're seeing a lot of these stock markets doing very, very well. And meanwhile, there's China, which is trading near 2007 levels. It's just been a dog of a, of a stock market overall. You know, as you can probably imagine, that doesn't look very good for the, the Chinese government. And so they probably are looking around. You can see these stimulus events and, and attempts going on right now. And it does make you wonder if, if you know, the Chinese economy, it's not going to be gone forever. It's going to come back. It's a, it's a huge part of the world economy, um, but it's been really, really struggling for some time now. Um it's just an interesting thing to keep an eye on, especially if you're somebody who trades commodities, you trade currencies, you know, especially any of the the Asian currencies. This is an interesting one to watch for the entire Asian economy, but also for the entire global economy. Some of those stimulus efforts have included, you know, limiting uh, or, or loosening some of the restrictions on banks in China, and uh, you know, even. Buyback programs being encouraged, ways to get more money flooded into the Chinese stock market. Um, As you can, you know, if if you look back in U.S. history, after our massive stock market fallouts, people were really scared to invest in their own, you know, stock market. So there perhaps is some of that Chinese uh, domestically, some some concern about their own stock market. Maybe they're going to Bitcoin. So to install some confidence, it seems like the government there is attempting. Will be interesting to follow that story. It's a very highly risky area of the market. Just you know, full disclaimer to anyone listening: that is a very risky area of the market, but it's a key one to the global supply and demand chain uh, in many fronts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's always worth noting that we've spoken a lot over the last year about Chinese economic issues, Uh, just in terms of the economic data. We've talked about the slow rebound from COVID. We've talked about things like higher youth unemployment. They stopped publishing youth unemployment figures, I think, once they got close to, say, 20%, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So uh, there is certain dynamics there which make life challenging for the economy, lower growth rates than they're normally used to as well. And then obviously you've got the difficulties they had in the housing market, the slow collapse of Evergrande, the impact that that has on sentiment uh, more broadly in China as, as well, and also the implications that it has for household wealth for example, and what that can do to people's sentiment from an investment standpoint also can have uh, knock-on effects too. But obviously, it's become such a hot topic now um, about what's happening with the local stock markets and the fact that it's something that needs to be addressed because it can then have Negative knock-on effects to the broader economy as well. So uh, I think it is an interesting story—the scale of the declines that we are seeing, and the efforts and the importance with which it's been uh, taken. Uh, I imagine it's some—it's a story that's not going to go anywhere. But I imagine I've I've touched on a few potential reasons why we may be seeing those—the scale of declines. But there's going to be many more layers to it as well. Uh, So yeah, certainly an interesting story to continue to follow. And of course, one final point on that as well is deflation that we're we're now continuing to see in China when we've got some inflation data uh, released overnight tonight Uh, It may have already been released by the time you're listening to this CPI and PPI figures both in deflation territory at this point in time and have been for a number of months so perhaps that's one of the contributing factors in all of this as well okay guys thank you very much for joining us today very interesting we'll speak to you again on Friday cheers thanks a lot thanks Johnny
0: Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.